Welcome to the now playing Halloween retrospective series. Only trying to give America a good show. Hosted by Stuart. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up. Arnie. I prayed that he would burn in hell, but in my heart, I knew that hell would not have him. And Brock. One must remember not to be fooled by his calm, unassuming facade. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? Due to the current release of Rob Zombie's new Halloween movie, H2, we will be watching and reviewing all of the films in the Halloween series. These eyes will deceive you. A warning, these conversations will be spoiler-filled, and as the movies are R-rated, there may be some objectionable language. Every other word you say is either hell or shit or damn. Trick or treat, motherfucker! Today we're talking about Halloween 6. Oh, I'm sorry. Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers. No fancy numbers in this title. <laughs> this is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. Stuart in L.A. And this is Arnie. And isn't this around the period where numbers became passe <laughs> and there were no numbers? Maybe yeah, you won't it, notice we've had sequels before if we don't put a number in the title. It becomes an embarrassment. For a while, sequels are kind of like, oh, that's what people want. They want another one. We want to let them know. And then when they get past four, they realize this is embarrassing. You know, there's a modesty that comes over it. And we're like, Halloween, like they don't want to, they're middle-aged. They don't want to say their, their age. It's weird. I could see why. It's gotten a little long in the tooth, this Halloween series. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I would have to say that I find it amusing that they are digging up each and every minor character from the first film and finding <laughs> some way to bring them back <laughs> yes. over a decade later, now a decade and a half later. Let's bring back Tommy. Let's bring <laughs> back the guy who had one line and was Loomis's <laughs> boss. And let's make them all part of this grand plot yeah mythology yeah we're I'm building cool. on it all yeah it is a strangely complicated and uh, uh backward thinking we are brought back with jamie who was the little girl in the past two movies yes i'm sorry can we do some math Yes. Can we do some math? <laughs> All right. The last movie was 1989, and we were told she was seven, right? Yes. Okay. Okay, it's been six years. Six plus seven. I'm getting 13, right? Yes. The actress that we're told is Jamie, do you suppose she's at least 24? <laughs> yeah, she's somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. I put her in teens, honestly. I, no. Movie teens. No. You know, 90210 teens. I thought she was playing 18 or so. Like, the character is supposed to be 18 or 19 years old. I didn't think the actress was 18 or 19 years old, but I could be wrong. I didn't look it up. I was reading the character as intentionally being 16. I mean, remember, Brendan and Branda Walsh were supposed to be, what, 15 when 90210 started? So that kind of 15. Yeah, but they're making a specific point of telling us it's been 16. Six years. It's been six years since she disappeared from the police station and Myers disappeared as well and all those cops got murdered. Right. So I'm supposed to believe that this 
13, maybe 14-year-old, disappeared with a serial murderer and got pregnant and now looks exactly like she's 24 years old. Right. Well, maybe that she drank some of that water that uh, was on growing pains or family ties when the children aged six years and <laughs> when the summer break. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't get Danielle Harris back. I actually thought she was one of the highlights of the last two movies. Really... I looked that up, actually, and they couldn't come to terms on a contract. Money? That's, that's, that's what, according to Wikipedia, it was money. They couldn't pay Danielle Harris. They couldn't the come up to an agreement. It was an ag- <laughs> I don't know if they said money. They said an agreement. They couldn't come to an agreement to bring her back. Ah, yeah, so we can see how much they're throwing at this one. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We can't swing Danielle. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, all right. Yeah. And boy, does it look it. I mean, this movie is cheap. Well, would she want to come back for this role? You're going to be raped into pregnancy and then (laughs) killed. Yeah. Well, I don't know that she had anything else to do. All I'm saying is I missed her as I missed most everything about any previous Halloween that I enjoyed. You know what? I got to say on the record before we go further, just so we know where we're coming from. I thought this one was better than five. No. Oh, I could punch you right now. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Bring it. Come on. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. And now let's get ready to rumble. Um, No. I I liked five more than this one, but... I didn't really care for this one all that yeah, much. Yeah, let's. I'm splitting fine hairs here, but yeah. In the last one, they go through all the trouble of telling us Michael Myers lives off eating dead rats, and here, you know, at <laughs> least there was an attempt at a plot. It, it was a failed attempt, but they were shooting for something. Yes. Well, let's. All right, we're talking about this opening scene where it looks nothing like any other Halloween movie. There's no pumpkin. There's no mood setting. Anything. We're brought into a cult in the basement of an insane asylum where a child with a a strange bloody rune on his stomach is about to be sacrificed. And I'm going, how did we get here? I agree. Druids? Yes, this all ties back to the mystery scene, the cliffhanger. At the end of five, where the mysterious man in black goes in and starts shooting up the cops and releasing Michael Myers. Right. He's the head of a cult of druids. (laughs) And they... Stole Michael Myers because they're his guardian, because Michael is not just himself, but he is in vibe with the demon of the rune thorn. And the thorn curse means that a child must kill his entire family to save the tribe. It's all very hokey. Yeah, there's a point in every series where, you know, you start with this very simplistic idea. That's a, that, that its simplicity is its strength, by the way. We like it because it's simple to the point we know what's going on and they keep making sequel after sequel adding layers to it to the point that the souffle collapses and we can no longer consume it there's a point in the nightmare series where they hit that i felt they really hit that with friday the 13th 9 when they're talking about him jumping bodies and eating hearts and all of that we're here now (laughs) we have pulled into that depot we are setting up camp at what i would call needless backstory that has almost nothing connected to what was good about the original Carpenter movies. I would rather see, honest to God, I would rather see a sequel to the Silver Shamrock cult. (laughs) (laughs) To find out about some cult that's perpetuating Michael Myers. I would actually have preferred a tie-in where the Druids were the Silver Shamrock cult. And didn't you think they were headed there? For a moment, I actually, when they meant it, 
mentioned Celtic and all that, I'm like, oh, they are headed there. <laughs> They're going to some it bugs Mustafa Akkad so much that they have this erroneous one that doesn't tie in that he's going to find a way to make it all make sense. And if there had been a proper seven continuing this mythology, maybe there would have been that tie in. Maybe they could have uh, brought back that mustached guy from three. You know, but they could have done it here. And I think it's a and I think it would have been kind of fun because frankly it would have at least been more cohesive i mean i thought it was interesting they they brought back tommy and i uh, dr loomis for me is just i'm done with him but uh, to bring back uh, dr win i think his name was was so obscure yes dr win he is supposed to be the man in black from the last movie and i personally when i saw the man in black in the last movie i thought of somebody menacing i didn't picture like the 60 year old physician administrator right <laughs> i thought yeah. he was younger actually i didn't realize he was going to be well, we didn't see his face but the way I assumed he was younger, I guess that was my own fault. So already my heels are digging in here. Like, I don't even want to go here. <laughs> I don't even want to watch this movie. I don't want to see them fuck up or tarnish what I liked. You know, I could, I sense that happening instantly with this opening scene and where they're going. And then, yeah, there's convoluted sort of introductory scene back to Jamie trying to escape Michael and a cult with her baby. And then, yes, we're also brought into the Myers house where now it is owned by Laurie Strode's uncle because it makes much more sense for a family to live there squatting than it would be to, <laughs> I don't know, bulldoze the thing and build something that people would like to live in. Well, it does look like a much nicer house it looks like they finally fixed the gutters and the shingles well yeah it's not covered in cobwebs and people aren't falling through the floors but i want to go it, back one step though Stuart brock read the wiki article i'm curious Stuart, where do you think this baby came from i don't know i mean same, I, i'll tell you what probably the same ba baby daddy that knocked up Lori. because <laughs> there's always these men that come into these virginal women's lives off camera and then in the next sequel they're preggers yeah i could only imagine that if the child was abducted uh at the police station and has been held in captivity that yes yeah, she was forcibly raped and by some cultist who knows maybe even the man in black why why would they want an offspring so that they could sacrifice it <laughs> i I don't know if I even want to expend the energy trying to imagine a hazy answer for these nonsensical problems. Yeah, because Michael needs to kill all of his blood relatives so that his curse will end and it will be passed into another child, this being Danny, who is the, I guess he would be Laurie Strode's foster nephew? <laughs> or cousin once removed because oh, like God. you said the strode Jeez. uncle is now living in the house and the strode uncle has a daughter who's grown up and the daughter has a son who's eight so yeah i guess her cousin once removed the foster cousin once removed i don't know how i came by this impression but i got the impression that this girl was adopted like she was not biologically part of that family maybe because her relationship with her father is so bizarrely unloving. 
But they, you guys didn't get that impression. I just somehow I just reject- got that he was basically an abusive, drunk asshole. And I thought it well, was a stepfather. I got the impression it was a stepfather and the that's mother. What, that's yeah. That's what I mean. I feel yeah. I feel like that there's no biological relation between her and him. And, and, which, and the mother's the victim of this this nasty husband, and right. the family's putting up with it because they need a place to live. I <laughs> right. <laughs> why, because why they're but, around, I don't know. I'd like to give a shout out to the mother who I know as the mother from Better Off Dead who has that just very specific voice. Dude, at breakfast I was waiting for her to say but it has raisins in it. You, you like, like raisins. raisins. <laughs> <laughs> I was and hoping Stewart is that. lost. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't think I ever saw Better Off Dead. I just remember the trailer about the throwing away a good white boy but I, I can't help you there. All and right. The funny thing is, Stuart, if you've seen Better Off Dead and you watch this movie, it's like she hasn't aged a day. <laughs> her hair got bigger. I yeah. love it. I love it. <laughs> but her voice is what connected me more than the face. The glasses. Like, I know that voice. And so I had to IMDB mid-movie and yep, it's Mrs. Myers. Yeah. Oh, that's ironic because he's Lane oh Meyer God. in Better Off Dead. I didn't pick that up until right now. Yeah. Wow. It's All part right, of so- the conspiracy. Uh, <laughs> Thorn made better yeah. off dead. Yeah, yeah. I, she's a strange choice because she's clearly playing it for comedy, or at least is a, a, a laughable figure in this. But there's no sense of humor in this movie whatsoever. I didn't understand that. A notable death in this movie, which I just blows my mind, I guess pun intended, was the stepfather, who I call the stepfather, gets electrocuted to the point that his head <laughs> blows up. Yeah, and scanner I, style. Yeah. yeah, and I never knew that could be possible when you electrocute somebody. So that to be a warning to you all, you, all mm-hmm. the kids out there. I, I just thought that was, you know, there's a lot of clever deaths in this series so far. I've actually liked, you know, the variety of different kinds of kills, which is kind of makes it kind of fun. That one I just thought was just absurd to the point of nuts. I mean, that, that doesn't make any sense, but like it just didn't make any sense to me why they went there. And it was completely baloney, but it well, was funny to watch. They wanted to do him, they wanted to do him extra good, I think. You know, the thing <laughs> that I've noticed in this movie particular is all the people that die kind of deserve it. And that wasn't true in Halloween's long, long ago. But this one, all the characters are either incredibly weak or repugnant or just thoroughly unlikable. Wait and a minute. This, well, how, does, how does the mother, the, the better off dead mother, deserve to die in this movie? Because she's so mousy. She sits there and allows her husband to physically abuse her children and says nothing. Uh, and she's just weak-willed and just, you know, she's just fluttery. She's and yeah, that's that's reason enough. Believe okay. me, I, I wanted her out of the picture. Admittedly, she's not morally reprehensible like the shock mm-hmm. jock or, or this guy. But this right. guy's the worst. I mean, he's just just, I mean, you can smell the beer on his breath when he walks in the room. He's just got that drunk, I'm going to hit you, I'm a total pig kind of guy. And so they had to come up with something great for him. And I guess what what better than to blow up every molecule in his body with an electrical current? So we're implying or thinking that maybe this child that Myers is trying to jump into is not even biologically in his bloodline. Oh, it's definitely not biologically in his bloodline because even if she is or isn't adopted, these are all Strodes who aren't blood related to the Myers. The Strodes adopted Lori. Right. Oh, right, right, right. Hmm. Yeah, this is getting this is getting too complicated. You and- know, that's <laughs> that's what I mean. This is they're reaching to try and fill in things 
things that nobody was asking for, and they're using secondary bit players to do so. Uh, yeah, living across the street uh, from the Myers house where the Strode family is living is a mystery figure. Paul Rudd, who, you know, <laughs> wow. Worst you know. acting of his career. I think I may have seen Paul Rudd's entire oeuvre, and this was bad. I'm surprised he worked again. Well, well, you know, and Paul Rudd is a comedy figure here, so you can't look at him and not be prepared for laughter. So it's so strange watching him play essentially some kind of version of Norman Bates. Yeah, and he played it one note for the most part the entire time. And this is 1995, I believe, right? This movie. If I I may be mistaken, but Clueless came out the same year. Yes. Or right. Or, or, and so he was so much better than that. Yes. <laughs> it, it was. It's just night and day. But you know, it's Paul Rudd, and so we know him. So it's nice to have a recognizable face. Maybe it's easier for him to play attracted to Alicia Silverstone than it is for him to play, you know, a disciple of a crazed psychiatrist on the run from a druid cult. I don't know why. Why that would be um <laughs> <laughs> uh, for a while they play with the mystery of, of who he, he even is and you figure he must tie into the plot that we've already seen i'm sorry but don't they reveal it right at the beginning like his first scene he's calling into that horrible howard stern wannabe radio show and he goes i saw michael myers and i survived yes and what i thought he was was the pirate boyfriend from the last movie. I thought it was Danielle Harris's little, you know, how she gets this little. That's right. Yeah. That's who I thought he was. I didn't remember names. Maybe if I had known Tommy and all of that, I, I would have known. But who can remember any character's name in the series? So I just assumed that, like, you never saw him die exactly. He kind of got run over. So I was like, eh, maybe he's alive. Maybe he's not. And that's who I thought it was. So I was very confused when we finally find out that, yes, he was someone that Lori uh, babysat on the very first night, 1978. But in a wonderful tie that nobody saw coming, he's living in a halfway house, which is, of course, right across the street from the old Myers house. <laughs> of course. And run by an old lady who we later find out was Michael Myers' babysitter the night Michael Myers killed his older sister. <laughs> I didn't I didn't even pick up on that, really. I just, you know what, at yeah. some point I was... I was not accepting information from this movie. She's like, he hears the voice, you know. Little oh, Mikey yeah. Myers heard the voice, too. I was his babysitter. <laughs> not a very good one, apparently. No. <laughs> he got yeah. away from her. Yeah, night. yeah. Well, well, you know, I, I had trouble getting behind the Paul Rudd character, not only because of his one note. I kind of didn't mind the connection when they finally revealed it. But I had trouble getting behind him and, and actually caring about him. Decisions in the movie were odd the entire time. I, w I want to get to the one scene with Tommy that really just astounds me. Now, to, to summarize the plot, Jamie runs off with the baby, ends up at a bus depot, hides yeah. the baby in a closet, then runs <laughs> off. Michael follows her, thinking she still has the baby, and kills Jamie. I thought the baby was with her, too, because when the truck crashed, I'm like, what, the baby survived that crash without a car seat? But apparently they fooled me, too. And would that end Thorne if the baby died in the car crash? D does Michael yeah. have to kill it, or can it just die? Yeah, it's me. <laughs> I, I just was surprised that the baby survived it. Nope, they tricked me. But yeah. because she happened to call into a radio show that Paul <laughs> Rudd was listening to, and Paul Rudd, mo nobody else but Paul Rudd, hears in the background an announcement of an arriving bus. Which doesn't arrive because no one is at the bus station at all. At all. <laughs> yeah, the bus station. 
they're making announcements. Invisible people are making announcements to no one about midnight buses arriving in Haddonfield. Go on. Go on. So Paul Rudd goes to the bus station and finds a trail of blood that nobody's noticed at this bus station, which is now populated from the phone booth into the bathroom. I mean, these are some lazy freaking workers. I know I'm not the first one to grab a mop at my workplace, but if there's a trail of blood, I don't think I'd just be like, huh, uh, all right, time to work the booth. Yeah. And the baby well, doesn't, no one else hears a baby crying. The baby doesn't yeah. cry at all in the cabinet until Paul Rudd finds it. Yeah, until yeah. he walks into the bathroom. All yeah. the other people who've had to take a piss, no crying. But Paul no Rudd, baby. He, she, the baby knows Paul Rudd shouldn't be in the women's room is what it is. It's, <laughs> well, I'm uh, forget other people going to the bathroom. You're telling me when Jamie character was there she's having to escape she throws her baby into the closet and runs away and and michael doesn't hear the baby crying i mean does that make any sense the baby wouldn't cry when the mother throws it into a dark place with no air <laughs> i just a picture well, it would be hard of her to cry with no air and, the, and this is and this is her attempt to save it i mean oh god well, yeah. Anyway. The bus is coming from Pontiac that's arriving. There, There's some pretty dirty people in Pontiac. Maybe she thought one of them would need a baby. <laughs> Suddenly, all of our Pontiac viewership has turned off this podcast. Go on. Bye-bye, five of you. <laughs> That's the whole population. I've been, I've been to Pontiac. It has a lovely Dairy Queen. Now, please. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I have to say, just a side note, they screw up the continuity of where Haddonfield is because the bus is arriving from Peoria and Pontiac with continuing service onto Chicago, which means there's no way Haddonfield could be 300 miles from Chicago. Yeah, you're right. That is all jacked. Unless the bus is taking the most circuitous route possible. <laughs> anyway, I'll accept because I have no other choice the fact that the baby was cleverly hidden away and is now discovered by Paul Rudd, who right. proceeds to take raise it on his own? Yeah. No, he takes her to the hospital, I guess, to get checked out and then happens to run into Dr. Loomis who he recognizes, and then doesn't get the baby checked out by a doctor. Leaves with the baby, doesn't give <laughs> yeah. the baby to Loomis, which would have solved the entire problem, just hand it over to Loomis. He leaves with the baby and says, meet me at the rally. <laughs> of all things, to, all places to meet me, and yeah. doesn't get the baby checked out. I, I, I would. That whole thing continues to be again. His decisions in this movie make no sense to me. Okay, so I think we're all in agreement that the the plot is all over the place and convoluted and crazy, incomprehensible. I dare say. Yeah, there uh, you go. Yes, and you know the other thing that is that sets this one apart is the fact that up until this point, if we exclude three, the Halloween movies are always built around a central female character. But she's so in the background of this one, I don't even know her name. What's her name? The the, the Danny's the, mother. Yes, Danny's saying? mother. Exactly. I'm like she makes so little impression. We don't even know who she is. Uh, I've got it written here somewhere. Kara. Is that right? Yeah, Kara. I, wow. Yeah. I, I didn't know it either. I'm like, really? It's Kara? But yes. yes, it is. Yes. We've really gotten away from the whole shape of this thing, which is typically that it's about one virginal girl running from this anonymous force of masculine evil. And that's how it makes sense. And now we that character is, is forgotten. I mean, largely not there. I mean, it's have we ever had a, uh, any slasher? 
slasher movie from the period where it's a man being pursued by a man. Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Lives. The main character was also named Tommy. Mm, I suppose that's kind of true, although I feel like Tommy was pursuing Jason. A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Yep, you're right. That that one is, yes, where they change the dynamic. We'll he's talk a very about girly that. man, but he's a yeah. man. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in another podcast. The, pro- the problem with building everything around not having uh, it be a girl traumatized by Michael, but having the girl's son who is hearing voices and becoming a killer is that we've already they've already played this game and and whiffed that ball. And if Danielle Harris's Jamie wasn't going to become a killer after part four, I don't believe that Danny, little Danny, is going to become the new Michael Myers and kill either. I just they've already told me they don't have the guts to make a child a serial killer. And it's just so it's annoying that he's in there. There's too many children. I mean, it's just like, okay, she should be the child, and now she has her own child, plus there's Jamie and her child. Uh, no, there's too many, too many, too many children in a movie where they don't want children to kill or be killed. Um, anyway, it just, it, it felt off as well. The whole rhythm of it, I, I guess what I'm saying is I felt like we're getting away from the whole concept of Halloween being a slasher horror movie. Uh, there's no horror in this. It feels much more like the X-Files or some just weird conspiracy. You know, it's not representative of the genre. I'm going to pull one out. It kind of feels like ghoulies, where instead of having a (laughs) lot of different ghoulies, the satanic cult has one giant ghoulie, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Wait, did you really just say that or am I still asleep? (laughs) I really. Well, you know, you talk about horror movies that revolve around these mysterious kind of satanic or druidic cults. And you go to Ghoulies? Not even Ghoulies, Ghoulies 2? (laughs) Wow. Wow, sir. I am impressed with your, your, uh, your reach. That is, that is a movie and a series. That I didn't think we would be referencing today. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just like Ghoulies. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's that it's that kind of awful. I'm watching this on a Saturday afternoon, and it's hazy, and I feel sick, and I just need to get up and make myself get off the couch and do something productive. All right. Let's talk about the radio DJ really briefly. So there's this radio DJ throughout the entire show who Michael kills for no reason. Why is Michael at the carnival how did michael get to the carnival well what is the carnival the carnival is a bunch of kids meaning two kids who are mad that their town doesn't have halloween anymore because they feel it brings on bad luck and a lot of murders yeah i I found it ironic in a previous podcast brock said if i was this town i'd ban halloween they did yep i have a note on i'm like thank goodness they finally banned halloween in this stupid town Yes, and the kids are mad. I mean, and and there's really there's no one at this rally. There's just two kids. There's a bit of a crowd, and nobody's dressed as in Halloween. Like if you really wanted to protest the fact that there's no Halloween, you would, you know, I don't know, 
make it like Halloween. Anyway, yeah, they they invite a a shock jock. He's not just a DJ. He's a shock jock, which makes me really root this into the '90s. You know, back in the day when Stern and all of that that was that was a force. I don't know why he's there. I don't know why Michael kills him, and I don't know why Michael gets Christmas lights. And hangs him in a tree. <laughs> I'm like, now you're mixing your holidays. And that's and maybe because there's no Halloween decorations in town anymore. He had to go straight to the uh, Christmas aisle. Well, Christmas comes earlier and earlier every year. I'm sure that by the <laughs> 90s, the Christmas lights were out by Halloween. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure enough. But uh, that actually was a mildly cool death in the sense that uh, the setup for it was a little neat. There's a little girl standing under a tree, and she's like, it's raining red. And then we yeah. look up, and it's what I was puzzled by was uh, the fact that I didn't know who it was. It took me like a beat or two to be, oh, right, the DJ I didn't care about that is uh, killed in the van is now hung in the tree. I have a question. In the regular cut of this movie, is that little girl singing a song called Mommy, Mommy, It's Raining Red to the tune of He's Got the Whole World in His hands i think so i uh, thought so too that is that's messed up <laughs> <laughs> oh you got a problem with that do you all right well that's a well, mild concern in a movie in a sea of absurdity you know speaking of hanging the guy in the tree later later in the movie and we'll get to this in a few couple of minutes when he, he hangs another body from the ceiling michael myers does right the mother or something hangs from the ceiling mm -hmm. uh, and, w w why does he do that <laughs> Halloween decoration. <laughs> Maybe pinata party later on. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't get it. But uh, he has a he has a fetish for it. I guess mm -hmm. he's got a lot of fetishes. Fetishes for mechanic jumpsuits. Yeah, la latex masks. They do, it does go all the way back to the first Halloween where he takes the the guy with the glasses who's down in the kitchen getting beers and kind of like sticks him up on a hook and then yeah. cocks his head. Remember that? I think that I was do. his first – that was his maiden voyage into the realm of uh, corpse hanging. But he also always arranged the bodies. Remember the tombstone of Judith Myers that he put by mm -hmm. yeah. – what's her slut's name? There is a decorative side to Michael Myers that goes unexplored largely. But I think we are finding it out here. He does like to make it pretty. Perhaps his entire conflict is internal with his desire to be an interior decorator and knowing <laughs> that it would be shunned in the small town of Haddonfield. You know, if Mustafa Akkad heard us, he'd be like, that's it, Feng Shui! <laughs> I've got the plot for the next movie! <laughs> I really wonder if, you know, Brock, you'd said that you wanted to see perhaps the druid cult from three or the witch cult from three brought in here. I yeah. really think Mustafa was playing the long game because he put the thorn on Michael in the last movie and never explained it. Mm -hmm. In this movie, he starts to explain the thorn. I think, again, he wanted to have one of these churned out every year and he's playing the real long game of, yeah, he could have brought it in here, but he's thinking three sequels into the future. He's like a master chessman. Mm, I, I kind of agree with you, except Except for the master part. He, <laughs> he, and I'm not going to credit everything to him. I think the writers left a lot of open-ended things in five with the man in black and the, and the symbol and all of that, knowing that it would be, it would give them somewhere to go. And now they have, uh, you know, a whole new terrain to quote unquote explore here. I can't imagine anyone following this nonsense beyond this sequel though. I mean, it, to me, it clearly announces in almost every scene this series is dead. 
the series is over. And I wouldn't have ever thought there would have been another one based on how this go. I mean, and it, let's face it, the next one was the first of many Halloween reboots. Yes, yes, right, it definitely exactly. was an attempt to try and find something in this again that people would want to watch because it's gotten so up in its own ass that you really <laughs> who cares? I mean, really, uh, who is who is even remembering? I mean, the idea that six years have passed and people want to know what happened in the cliffhanger to Danielle Harris. No, they don't. They don't remember this series. And they could have picked up at any point the fact that he has to go chasing these bit parts and these bit characters. I had to look up who Wynn was. I'm like, Wynn? Was he actually in the other movies? It's a different actor, too. So I had a, when I looked at I looked it up as well. And Paul and Rudd wasn't really the original little Tommy Doyle either. I knew you were going to say that. I knew it. But um, <laughs> that guy was an adult. So unless he passed away, they got Mitchell Ryan to play the part this time. And, you know, it just found it. If it was the same actor, maybe I would have, you know, put it together. But then again, I missed the same actor in the next movie. But we'll talk about that next time. Uh, well, let me let me just throw yeah. one out here. The one thing that they do still have here is maybe the movie's weakest flaw. And that's Pleasance. I mean, aren't we done with him? Isn't everyone ready for him to go? Well, he certainly seems seems one foot in the grave he's ready to go he can barely (laughs) muster up the strength to speak and you know i there's the scene where they're the guys talking on the radio early in the movie to the shock jock and he's like isn't he dead and he turns and goes no not dead and then i expected (laughs) to go not yet (laughs) (laughs) and then like in some kind of mel brooks joke like to fall over and then be like okay you know like yeah really let me tell you the first time i saw this movie it really creeped me out because I felt like we're watching a terminal man on screen and it felt mm-hmm. very ghoulish to see a terminal man be hunted by a killer. Because I agree. That's weird when that happens. Do you ever see Poltergeist 3? Yes, with it's, you. Yeah, yeah, with Carol Ann. Yeah, yeah, that it's creepy when the when the character has died and they go forward with it anyway. And then he was dead by this point, right? Yes, like, in, the, in the credits it opens with in memory of Donald Pleasance. Right, right. Is that by the time people were watching this, he was already gone. But you mm-hmm. he just he looks bad he looks like you know he's trying to get that one last payment so he can pay off the house for his heirs and he's but he's really you know his voice is gone his voice which was so perfect in the early movies you know he was the part we said that brought menace to michael myers and he had that great voice a great inflection a great accent and now he can barely talk above a whisper and i'd be surprised if half his lines weren't loose uh do you think i'm that's what i guess i'm wondering do you think that because he was so feeble they had to rewrite things and create characters or other things to explain things they wanted him to do. Meaning maybe there was no Tommy initially, but they had to have a Tommy because Donald wasn't going to be around to carry it on into part seven. I can't deny that I think that Tommy might have been the new Van Helsing of the series had it continued. Right. Mm, I think Tommy Mm. would have been the one to continue it, although Paul Rudd wouldn't. So they get to the climax where they go to the sanitarium and they're running from Michael and they run into a room with a bunch of petrified fetuses. What was that? If you're asking me to explain anything (laughs) about that last 20 minutes, I cannot do it. And I don't care. I don't want to know. That's how, that's how, uh, against this movie i am yes we're finally back to the insane asylum where this all quote unquote began when the first movie and this is where the cult lives and so we're finding out that the cult 
I don't know. I have no. I have nothing. Michael Myers has free range over the whole place. You know, he's no one else is worried about getting killed by Michael Myers. He's just able to roam free. And, yeah. And it, well, that's because it's run by the Druid cults. You know, it's, he's a henchman. You know. I, I, I just know. I have to agree with Stuart. At that point, logic had ceased for me. I didn't. You know, I just was wondering. Okay, how are they going to conclude this? Okay, that's how they're going to do it because it didn't matter to me. I just was waiting for it to conclude, just to end. And it basically ends. They drug my. Michael Myers with a bunch of medicines and then Tommy beats him down with a stick Mm -hmm. and then they cut to later the mask is lying there the needles are lying there but somehow we've transported into Hellraiser because there's chains and hooks hanging from the ceiling yeah it does feel like they're going to go they're grabbing at anything that is scary you know like chains there's a lot of smoke in this one this is really bad smoke machine billowing all over everything I don't understand it's like they just had a, a prop budget and then they went with well, also to to accentuate the movie's scariness and to try to get maybe get you in it, they had this problem with the um, um I don't know how to describe it, like kind of like a a, a musical uh, sting, yeah, a blast of trumpet or whatever the hell that was, and it constantly happened throughout. It was annoying, and especially because a lot of the times it was you know a misdirection, and it, I, that was annoying to me. But I I understand why they did it. I just didn't like the choice. They didn't have anything there, and they had to beef it up. Well, Stuart, you said the last twenty minutes long you. I find that interesting because this was the second last 20 minutes of the movie. Because I actually watched this movie twice, pity me. <laughs> and the second time I watched it was on a producer's cut, which legally I can't tell you where I got. But, alright, it was at Wizard World, Chicago. <laughs> they have it for sale bootleg. And it has the original producer's cut. Now, I don't know if this is Mustafa Akkad's cut or who was the one who recut this film. And mostly, the differences are just longer scenes. For example, for example, they cut like uh, Uncle Tim, Danny's Uncle Tim and Danny talking street with some what's up, G kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, obviously needed to be on the cutting room floor. I'm surprised the producer was like, no, that must go in. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're going to be major characters in the next one. If, if they a cop died, has though. That, uh, yeah. Uncle Tim oh. died. He was the one who died in the shower. And there's yeah. dropped lines that they cut where Loomis says he had a stroke six years earlier, which I guess explains we were all saying, is he having a heart attack when he's beating Michael Myers or what's going on? He had a stroke, apparently. Mm. But post-stroke, he also says that he spent a lot of money getting skin grafts to fix the burns on his face. Didn't you notice <laughs> that that cake? makeup wasn't on his face anymore well he had a beard he had a beard so it was like well maybe they're there and you just can't see no it. it was up above on his cheek and i did notice it was missing but i just assumed he got plastic surgery in his old age or something i yeah, I, I i or or actually what i said to my wife when i was watching this i was like did um I guess Donald Pleasant says, I'll do the movie, but I won't wear that thing on my face. I mean, that's how they didn't explain it, but in the, you're saying they explained it. In the- yeah, they explained that. I don't know quite why they cut that. There were some different deaths. There's a scene, though. At the We all think, right, that Jamie died. Michael killed Jamie. Uh, oh, yeah. That, that, that mysterious scene in which he throws her on farm equipment and, yeah. and chops yes. up her guts. Yeah, I thought she was dead. Yeah, she wasn't. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> she was alive. That's why they were at the hospital is they were trying to save her. Oh. And there's a scene of a doctor presenting Loomis with placental fluid. There's two words I hoped I'd never have to use in a podcast. <laughs> placental fluid. <laughs> 
say which proves she just had a baby and then we see a flashback dream sequence from jamie in the hospital where she is tied to a table and her legs are tied apart and then michael walks in and she goes please michael don't hurt me and then Oh, I can't bear it. I can't bear it. So Michael is the incestual father of Steven. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh. Now, Wiki says that it's presumably through artificial insemination. That's not what I got out of it. If you watch this scene, it looks like you're about to witness Michael rape his niece. Well, that explains why they they would cut that. Because, yeah, no horror movie can really go there. You know, certainly not an R-rated American horror film. You can't have uh, a 13-year-old girl be raped by her serial killer brother uh, and watch that. You can't. Adult serial killer brother. Yes, that's not not acceptable well you don't actually watch it you 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 know it's not like there's the whole scene it's just she says please don't hurt me screams and then you fade to present and then you hear the voice of who we later find out to be dr win say your work is done jamie and shoots her in the head wow so she still dies she still dies (laughs) but But not in farm equipment yeah she dies in the (laughs) hospital shot in the head after revealing michael to be the father of her child so let me get this straight the woman can survive a thrash but not a bullet to the head. Just want to be clear. Yeah. Well, she is related to Myers. They do have that indestructible quality. And in fact, <laughs> the chick in this one like falls off the roof and is totally fine. I mean, she, she voluntarily dives out a window and survives. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. It's possible that thrashing equipment was a little bit later. I think that her death in the original might have been he just threw her and we didn't see all the farm equipment. But yeah, she survived to get to the hospital in the original. Then there's some more talk, which of course we all want between Tommy and Loomis about the runes and Tommy saying how the thorn is a rune of evil but there are also runes of light that could be used to trap Michael cancel each other out mm-hmm. and then okay. the entire ending at the sanitarium is pretty much different and there's a whole talk between Wynn and Loomis and at the beginning Wynn said he was retiring and it's a little bit extended in this producer's cut talking about how retiring it turns out what he's retiring as is the head of thorn he no longer wants to be michael's protector he's retiring and loomis is taking his place as michael's protector why i, I don't know i thought he retired himself i thought they i thought loomis was retired no but remember at the beginning he's saying to loomis i want you to replace me at smith's grove yeah i do yeah even though oh. he was retired win yeah. is trying to pull him out of retirement but what loomis doesn't know until the end of the producer's cut is that he's not taking over as administrator of smith grove he's taking over as head of the druids oh uh, Oh, I get it now. Okay. And well, then, how, would that, how would that be any different than what he does anyway? He obsesses over Michael Myers every damn day of his life. He might as well get paid for it. <laughs> well, he's, <laughs> he's supposed to be Michael's protector now. Wynn says that he is Michael's protector and that Loomis will be the protector supposedly of Danny, I guess. Oh, God. And there's a big sacrifice scene where Kara is tied up and the baby Steven is tied up and Michael is brought in to kill Steven and the Kara says don't do it Michael baby you know the baby is yours don't you Michael <laughs> and, and that makes Michael hesitate 
Mm-hmm. And then Tommy rescues them, is chased by Michael, and Tommy stops him by placing rune stones on the floor, creating a barrier through which Michael can't walk. An invisible barrier. There's no, like, laser effects. Mm-hmm. Michael just can't walk past the rocks. So it's like one of those dog collars that the dog's, like, electric fence yes. for a dog. <laughs> yes, Tommy puts down the runes, and <laughs> Michael is stopped by the good runes. <laughs> God. Oh. And then we have the scene that's in the final cut of the three of them driving off and saying to Loomis, don't you want to come with us? And Loomis says he has business to do there. Right. Loomis goes back in and finds Michael laying on the ground surrounded by the runes. Goes over, pulls off Michael's face. "Uh Uh-oh, it's Wynn. And Wynn says, it's your game now. And the mark just burns itself onto Loomis's skin in a really bad fade-in effect. And then you see Michael walking off, not wearing his mask or jumpsuit but wearing the man in black's coat and mask or hat. How do you know it's Michael then? Because the music's going... Okay. No, but it wasn't because this time that score is done with an electric guitar and boy, did I hate that. <laughs> so yeah, that is the producer's cut ending is that Michael has hesitation about killing his own daughter that was bred through incest and all. I gotta say that honestly, it makes a little bit more sense. It's more comprehensible. It's also a lot longer. And the movie. No. It's like an hour 40, hour no, 50. No, I'm disputing all of this. Because you provide more explanation does not make something make more sense. This movie makes no sense. And I'm not saying it makes sense I want it to make. I'm just saying I've left with less head scratching. Now I understand what they were trying to do and just disagree with. Right. I think Correct. Yeah. I think it's a bad choice. I think it's a whole bunch of bad choices. Yeah. All yeah. right. Yeah. Um, An orgy it, of them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously someone other than the producer thought thought it was a bad choice too because they had to reshoot an entire ending they're right because i don't think that they should have gone there with michael myers being some kind of surrogate father i mean that just no 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 they should have had a better ending but they should not have gone that way i've never heard of a producer's cut i've heard of director's cuts i've never a producer's cut so that's odd to me have you ever heard of a producer's cut before i mean there there can be disagreements with the director but typically the producer wins because producer has all the money the producer's cut usually is the release cut and the director's cut is the thing that once a director has enough power gets to go back and and reissue and because this is all you know the bootlegs there's no official story here there's this isn't an official release and like i said it was some vhs thing that's been bootlegged all to hell and back but (laughs) who knows if this is mustafa akkad his son malik akkad who was brought in on this one there's another producer paul freeman yeah i would think director's cut might be better maybe writer's cut i don't know but Best boys cut. So, Stuart, Arnie, do you recommend Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers? Stuart. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Come on. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, The Curse is not Michael Myers. The Curse is a cod. That's who has to be stopped here. He will keep making these things as long as people patronize them. And so you have to stop this series. And it would take something miraculous, and I think we're going to see that the next time, for this to be a viable franchise. They have screwed this up so bad. It not only is something you don't want to watch, don't want to see continue, but it actually makes the 
original ones lesser. It hmm. tarnishes what they had. And for that, I really can't forgive them. It's deplorable. It easily, it should not have been released. My honest God feeling is Dimension should have let this sit on a shelf and said, we're going to try again in a few years. Don't mince words, Stuart. How do you really feel? <laughs> I got a thorn in my side. <laughs> oh, oh Arnie. I don't recommend this movie, but it's not that strong of a not recommend. You know, it's so far beneath what Halloween started off as. It's been a very steep decline, movie after movie. I think this one's slightly more entertaining than Five. I think that it's more of a slasher film. You get more death. Wrong, wrong. It is not more of a slasher film. There's no way. That's We're going to fight now. There's no way that this is more of a slasher film. There's just a lot more deaths of nameless naked teenagers. But we no, didn't talk not. about the deaths at all. This entire we hardly no, talked about the deaths at all here. So there was two. Really, there was yeah. two. There were the two teenagers, the two parents, the shock jock, Jamie. Right. So you're just saying from a body count standpoint, it's more enjoyable. It also, just there's it's, it's more well paced as far as the body count what? goes. No, no, no. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna take my heart medicine. <laughs> Oh my God, Stuart. <laughs> Come on, Arnie. I, I can't believe you're putting me in the position where I have to defend part five, but here I go. Here I go. Ugh. All right. At least that, there's no country bumpkin barn party. At least it's a. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think actually think I hear what you're saying in that you were bored with the last one. Yes. And in this one, you're not bored. Exactly. But, I still don't recommend this movie. But it is, it is inarguable that this one is much, much stupider. <laughs> much, much offensively stupid. I don't know. The last one was stupid. Why was Loomis no. in the pageant? No. No, 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 no. We need to get a scientist in here to quantify the ratio of stupid because I'm sure that there is a measurable result we could get from watching five and watching this. I'm not going to argue the point at all that this takes such a wrong turn with a druid cult and makes Michael Myers not even the main villain anymore but merely a weapon of the villain, which is a Correct. horrible thing. It neuters Michael, which is ironic because Michael also gets it on in the producer's <laughs> cut. But right. <laughs> you know, right. It, it takes away from Michael Myers because now there's this bigger evil and you don't want a bigger evil. You want Michael to be the big evil. Yes. And I mean, we never know what's in Michael's head. And now all of a sudden he's taking orders from this druid cult is not a good direction to go. And should they not have released it once it was filmed? I don't know. You know, it, if I was a producer and I'd spent the money to make it and I know there's a loyal horror audience that will eat up whatever shit we put out, I'd put it out to try to recoup some of that investment rather than just lose it, because they're gonna see the next one anyway, at least on video, no matter what you put out, so I would do that from a business standpoint. However, if I were earlier on in the process, and we'd only paid the writer to write the script, I'd probably throw it in his face, say, stop doing so many drugs, and get another writer, and just start over there. Mm. It was the writer Tarantino. Do you remember that rumor? There's a rumor that Quentin Tarantino uh, wanted to do the Halloween movie and worked on this movie. I had not heard that and in all the research I've done I've not seen that. There are two writers for this one of whom's uncredited and that's uh, Joe Chappelle. 
I'm pretty sure that if you went back and looked at material, Tarantino post Pulp Fiction was really high on doing a horror slasher movie, and Halloween was his absolute favorite series, and he said it would be a blast to do it. And I can't imagine that there's much of anything that he ever wrote in this movie, but he may have been at some point putting in story ideas. Some of this somewhere may trace back to him. The original writer did say in an interview that he did 10 drafts of this script and they took all of the simplest, cheapest to shoot elements from the scripts, threw them together, came up with one of the corniest endings in movie history, which is the power of the runes stopped him. And that it was like seeing his childhood dream turned into a living nightmare <laughs> that his script became this movie with such memory. Memorable humdingers, that's the writer's words, memorable humdingers as, Mommy, it's raining red, it's warm. (laughs) (laughs) I like that part. (laughs) And um, I had nothing else to add beyond Arnie and what Stuart said. I had much more fun talking about this movie with you two than actually (laughs) watching it. Um, And and that says it all, really. Um, We talked about already, we covered the, the movie just doesn't make any sense, it's all over the place and I don't recommend this movie. I just that's that's all there is to it. Brock, Brock, make me happy. Worst one of the series? Um well I had fun sort of, you know, with three, even though I thought that was pretty bad, you know? Um yeah. I enjoyed watching four and five more than I enjoyed watching this. So if you take three out of the equation, absolutely. Um but three for me is, you know, that was a kind of a fun Tales with the Crypt kind of movie, even though it wasn't a Halloween movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one as a Halloween in the Halloween series, yeah, clearly this is uh, the weakest movie, I should say. I'm not going to say worst, but weakest, definitely, for me. Weakest movie. So I want to thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please download the other podcasts in this Halloween retrospective series. And all of our other retrospective series that we have done can be downloaded directly from www.nowplayingpodcast.com. Please leave a review for us on iTunes if you like what we're doing. And if you want to give your two cents, please go to our forums, discuss this movie and other movies that we've reviewed, and you can find the link there on our homepage. Arnie Stewart, it's been fun talking about this one. Thanks a lot. Yeah, (laughs) I'm happy that I have discussed it, and I'm happy to have put it behind me. Yeah, and we will reconvene for Halloween H2O. Water! Later. (laughs) It's a Chinese water torture. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. As a matter of fact, it was. Thank you for joining us for this installment of Now Playing's Halloween Retrospective. It's all over, my friend. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can listen to our other installments, as well as our Friday the 13th, House of a Thousand Corpses, Terminator, and Star Trek Retrospective series at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production and is not affiliated with Compass International, Universal Pictures, Galaxy International Pictures, Dimension Films, Miramax Films, or The Weinstein Company. Michael Myers and all other Halloween characters and situations are copyright and trademarks of those companies and no infringement is intended. I assumed he was younger. I guess that was my own fault. Yes, because old people can't be dangerous. Unless they're behind the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
Now there is a, a, a horror movie worth pursuing. Yes. <laughs> the villain only like only see her eyeball, uh, eyeballs above the wheel, and, like really <laughs> little wigs sticking up above the driver's wheel. Oh, Grandma's boy. car. What's Pray it doesn't come for yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, 